Good evening. God will grant us the favor to connect with different nationalities all across the world. And we can definitely tell the difference just as well as they can. Every place, the difference when they encounter someone who is not from where they are. Currently, while we're here in the earth. I have a Afghanistan connection. And they're like, when are you coming here? They don't play. When are you coming here? And this person was like, I don't want to come to your country, receive opportunities for myself and my family. I care about my people here in the Middle Eastern area. I need you to come. You are a powerful woman who are filled. I need you to come and pray over my land, pray over this nation so many people can receive so laws can be changed for my people. If I didn't care about my people, I would have left and went somewhere else to start a new life. But I wouldn't feel right if I leave my people behind in the nation that I am from. We don't have opportunities as you have, Sister Quinesha. We don't have educational opportunities, Medicare opportunities, senior care opportunities, welfare opportunities, as your line have for all of you who are there, who can use that assistance. We have to pay for everything. We have to pay for every single thing that you get free. I am happy for you. I'm not angry at you, but I need you to come and release that here upon my line for my people because the women cannot talk. They have no decisions to make. At the age of eight and nine, they have no decisions to even say to their fathers regarding if a man come to buy them into marriage. And if a woman look a wrong way, could be looking up at the sky when her husband looking somewhere else for her to look where he's looking, he can cut her eyes out. If she even asks to dare to speak a word that is encouraging, as you do, Quenisha, in your line here, women get their lips split in half. Some of them been taken out of their homes and, and brought into the field and with a rifle shot right in the head in front of her family just because she had a good idea that could change this nation. I know you have what it takes to change this nation. I'm not playing around. I know you said this years ago you will come. I need you to come now. And I said, when God had me to come, I will be. I have to go where I am graced to go. Over the net, I cannot go. Invitation in Asia and it's so amazing that the invitations I'm speaking about are presenting itself, you know, for this season. That was already positioned before me, but God prepared me. But I had no idea word from word that he was actually doing that.
It's like in this season, God is showing us why he did what he did when we didn't understand what was going on. And invited to Bangkok. God said, yes, you will be going to Bangkok, Asia. And I was like, Bangkok? Oh, God. God said, didn't you ask me to go places that many wouldn't want to go? I said, yeah, but I didn't know you were going to say Bangkok. I thought you were going to say Hong Kong, Fuji Mountain, you know? Japan, China, somewhere in Asia. But I never thought you would say Bangkok. Bangkok is like South Central Boys in the Hood. Colors. Juice. Men's Society. All of that in one. In the Asian culture. Wherever you send me, I'll go. I'm going to tell you guys something. When we leave out of this country, or whatever country you're from and you leave out of, the laws of that country left when you left. And whatever country or nation you are currently going to to visit, those are the current laws that you are embracing. But because we are covered by God's grace, we don't have to focus on that. Because regarding the fruits of the Spirit, there is no law. And it covers all things. I was invited to a place and it was over many miles, many plus many. It was a 15 hour flight nonstop, a two day trip with it, you know, a rest stop if I wanted to. And when I got to this specific land, all I saw, God had me to see the green grass, the brown dirt. That's all you can see from the airplane is the brown dirt and the green grass, green trees. And I never seen dirt like that before. It was a different brown. It wasn't a light brown, a dry brown. It was a soiled brown dirt. And I took a picture. I went in the bathroom on my plane when we were able to get up out of our seats and I collapsed and cried in the bathroom because I just hit the land of Africa. And all I can think about is my ancestors that was forced to leave hundreds of years ago, 1619, when the first 
slave trade in the Atlantic trade brought to Jamestown, Virginia was made. And I say, here I am freely coming back to release a powerful word. And all I could do was cry. I thought about every African movie. I thought about Roots. I thought about every African, you know, thought about all the Renaissance, all of the, you know, great leaders, inventors, evolutionaries that we read about today. That we talk about during our childhood due to making great change here because we were bought here as slaves. And it's nothing like when you not even just touch the line, but when you see the line as an African-American, it does something to you. I couldn't take that. I went in the bathroom and I cried. I cried. And when I got there, so welcomed, so welcomed. My first trip was, it was a three-day trip the first time. The second was two weeks and more than that after. But the first trip, it was like, wait a second. Because my host told me they were, that, you know, him and his wife were going to pick me up at the El Direct airport. And I got there. They weren't there. There were two white guys instead of African guys holding up a sign with my name on it. And I was like, I walked past the sign. I'm not going with them. I don't even know who they are. So I went to go trade in. You know, at the time, I was going to go to the bank while I was there, but I came to just withdraw 700 off my card. And you know, $1 is 84 shillings in Africa. So... I would join 700. You go figure how much I had when I was there just for those three days. But the next time I would join so much more just to be a blessing. But the first trip, it was nothing like it. And I said, God, I came all the way here. My host is not here. I see a poster, two posters with my name from two white guys. They got cuts and scrapes all on their hands. They got all dingy clothes. What if they kidnap me? What if they rape me? What if they do anything to me? God said, go with them. And I said, okay. Whenever God says something, it's like, okay. And I went with them. And I went first. I approached them. I say, I'm Quenisha. They say, oh, we, we knew who you were when you walked past. I said, how is that so? Because we researched you before you got here so we can know that we're safe enough to be around you. And when I got into the vehicle, it was a truck, an open truck like a Cherokee. And no roof, no doors. And it was just going the rural road just straight down, you know, Nairobi. And I'm like, where's these men taking me? (laughs) 
What if they take me to the woods or something? What are they going to do? I started looking at their arms. They had scrapes and scars. Fresh ones. Like, they, the first thing I thought about was maybe a woman was scratching her way out of being murdered or something. Don't scratch on their arms. Oh, my God. What are they going to do to me? And God said, no, don't think like that. And then all of a sudden, I see this gated house. The gates opened up when he pushed the button with his cold wet in the house and all of that. Two, three hours later, my host come and say that I had car troubles. I apologize. And a part of me was on the inside saying, you should have been here to come and get me. You had me ride with two strangers. I was scared. But I said, no. I said it on the inside, but on the outside, I was like, it's okay. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> and I never forget. About seven church seven churches to preach at and pray for like every ten minutes in one day. I had to adapt very fast to a place I never been. And I went to a hotel that they were so excited for me to be in. It was like a Hilton to them. And the people that were there guaranteed my safety because many people were excited that we have an American woman here. And they had guards and everything in this specific place because they didn't want me to get robbed or no one to break in and try to, you know, abduct me or anything. And the people that worked there were calling their families. We have an American here tonight. It's a woman. When I went in the room, it was a net over the bed to make sure no bugs or anything come in. And, and uh, you know, it was always a big rainstorm rain it, I mean it rained so much it rained so much because there's no humidity there's no humidity in Africa because the sun is so present the way how it's positioned for the sun there's no humidity so it would feel like maybe 85 degrees, but it won't feel humid. It won't feel humid at all. That is like too hot to bear. When it rains, it's not a hot rain that we feel here that you got to sweat when it's raining because the humidity, there is no humidity there. It rains so much. I never seen no rain like that before. It was like I was in the tropics, like I was in, in a rainforest. And I was a little afraid because the service I had at the time was worldwide, unlimited. But when I left out of the nation, my service left with me. But it said it was worldwide, you know. Um, I just thank God that he made sure that everything went well. The people were there looking like, for you to be so powerful, you just, you know, you're normal. You're, you're like us. You just chill. You walk around town and, you know, you just, you're fun to be around. 
And for me to have that experience, and I did a crusade. At that time, I didn't know what a crusade was. That's when you go, you know, stand and just pray and preach. But to us, that's outreach. You know, a revival. To them, it's a crusade. And they were like, you came all the way here by yourself just to release God here. You didn't know these two men that was here, but you used your faith and it worked out for your good. You came all the way here, thousands of miles, just to be used by God in a land you've never been to. And I was like, yeah, I'll do anything for God. I'll never forget my mom. You know, a mom is a mom. Don't go. You might not come back. Family, don't go. Something might happen. They might kidnap you. They might murder you. Don't go. But when I made up in my mind that I already went, and when I was on my way to the airport, they the ones who bought me that, cheering me on, recording the moment. You go ahead and you go. You do what God says. Because I wasn't going to allow anybody to take me or talk me out of it. And when I got on that plane, it was a straight flight. And I said, God, if it don't happen the way that I'm thinking it to happen, it was just like Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, which we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I call them by their original names. And it's just like, if our God, you know, he can do it, but if he choose not, we still going to win. That's how it was. God, if you don't, you know, come through, if I still win. I go home with you. And when I fastened my seatbelt, it was the best experience I ever had. In the air for 13 hours, get whatever I want to eat, whatever I want to drink, whatever movie I want to watch, music I listen to. And I will never forget, it was like three in the morning, I woke up from dozing off and I put on uh, Michael Jackson, Beat It. And I was very hyped up. I was in the air, Beat It, Beat It, Beat It, Beat It. And the, the person beside me was just like, you know, just sleep. I'm like, be there, be there, be there. I was hyped. I'm ready for this. You know, I see the moon. I'm ready for this. You know, so excited. So excited. So excited. And. It's not easy to go to other places that you don't know where you're going. Seriously. Because when I went around the women, it's like they were all like hovering over me. They were smothering me. I couldn't breathe. I was like, wait, wait, back up. And my husband was like, wait, give her space. They were grab. Imagine like 15, 20, 30 women grabbing your hair and rubbing on your arms, your feet. And like, wow, I'm touching American. Your skin's so soft like silk. Look at you. And one lady said something that caught my attention. You're better. 
No, I'm not. We all the same. Don't say that. Look at your toes. You have color on them. We never even had that. It got me to bring extra polish. And I did their feet. You know, I did the feet and the nails. They parading up and down. And they were like, you know, here we get we get married without our approval from 16 to, you know, our adulthood. If a man comes to our father and he present cattle and money, he can, you know, take us and buy us and we have to leave our home immediately. And they said, we don't know what it's like to want to be with the men that we marry because we were only married to be concubines, to cook and clean and have kids. Not to just, you know, be intimate and kiss and hug and tell each other how we feel. We never, ever done that in this village. When the male is on top of us, we just look up at the ceiling like, hurry up already. Because we didn't have a choice to make. We were chosen by a man. And many of the time, they're much older. And someone just asks out of nowhere, well, do you have a man? I was like, um, no, not yet. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I'm going to sound just like them because I've been around them all. No. Ay, ay, ay. Ah, no man. No man for you. Ah. No man buy cattle for you. No goat for you. Hey, they start calling others. Hey, come here, come here. They said, what, 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 what is the problem? Huh? No man. No man. No, no, <laughs> no man yet. It was like, no man. <laughs> How old are you? I told him my age. Ah. Say what? Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> they so dramatic. Ay, ay, ay. Because they marry like between 16 and, you know, 19. They're married with kids and everything. You how old? No one bought cattle for you to buy you. No one bought cow for you. No one came to your father. Ay, ay. And they called more people, more ladies. I, I come, come, come. And more ladies came like, oh my gosh, they gotta stop this. They say, what, what, what? No man, her no man. No man, no man. No man. No cattle, nothing for her. They said, we're sorry for you. Beautiful woman, no man. No one bought you. Mm -mm. We don't get bought, but I ain't want to say all that. I'm like, you know, mm -mm. I was like, mm -mm. <laughs> I wish somebody would play with me. Like, but I, we can't say that. I was like, you know, 
It's just be quiet and say, just shake your head. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It made them more dramatic. Ah, ay, ay, ay. It's like, oh my God. Ay, ay, ay. Ah, ah. Eh, eh. Oh my God. I was like, oh my goodness, no. I'm being patient with God. Oh God. He never said no man for you. He never told me about cattle for you. Oh, sorry. They was just like, oh, they felt for me. I was like, no, I'm good. We have sons for you. We have brothers for you. Beautiful woman. You want brother, son? I said, like, mm-mm. I'm not focused on that. Ah, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, and I'm going to tell you guys this. My God. God had me to change the laws of the tribe there. Because they didn't know what love is. They knew only love is God. But they didn't know that you could express that in marriage. When you, you know, be in love with someone. And a year later, it took a year when I left. That they were beginning to make covenants before God. And have, you know... God's way of marriage and in the traditional way of just buying women just to fix your food and, you know, iron your clothes, sew your clothes and have your children while you work. They were in love for the very first time. And I was like, I'm glad to hear that. That's what's up. And it was, it took one of them to ask, oh God, you have man yet? I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh God. And I couldn't lie. I'm not one of those that lie about. You, you know, you got to keep lying. I'm not a liar. You have man yet? No. Ah! And she didn't say, ah, yeah, yeah. Just, I said, ah! ah! It's like she fell back. Oh! <laughs> what's, wrong? what's wrong with you? <laughs> I said nothing, God. I'm just waiting on God. Ay, ay, ay! God. Leave me alone, please. Can we change the subject? They did not want to change the subject. They couldn't believe it. Because no one over, you know, 20 is not married in that village. It's in, it, To them, it's impossible. And they were like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, God. And they, some of them even fell back. Oh. Yeah. And so I played it back with them. I reversed it back on them. With the man that bought you. Because you prayed and preached to us about God's will. God had us to, you know, depart. And God sent me the man he had for me. But until then, I will wait till he come to me. But I know. And he know, but he's waiting for the right time. And guess what I did? <laughs> I got him back. I was like, oh, ay, ay, ay. Not married yet. They start laughing. They were laughing. <laughs> I said, not married yet. You're single still. Ay, ay, ay. You understand? 
I didn't go to many places outside this country, but to Europe. And in Europe, I went to Switzerland, you know, uh, Amsterdam, Zurich, that's all in one. Turkey, you know, four different places in Africa and invited to go to Congo. And God said, wait a little bit for that. That's West Africa. Wait till I tell you to go there. It's very tribal there. So I'll let you know when to go. Indonesia. But that's, you know, inside of the territory. But I said to God, Wherever you have me to go, I'm going. Alaska, definitely. And places that many wouldn't want to go, like Russia, definitely. Where the the Taliban's are, definitely. And you know why I want to go so much to go and be positioned for the Taliban's because they spend their entire life on their knees positioned before the sun. They fast, they pray, they cover their heads when they pray. They can fast for like two, three months and just drink water three days out of the month. They, they sacrifice so much but for the wrong reason. And I want to release to them the right reason to live. They um, batter their women very bad. They have no rights to say anything, look nowhere, dress any type of way they want. Everything has to be covered but their eyes. And the Taliban, there is a small portion of, you know, the Middle Eastern area where they can do whatever they want to do to anybody around them. And they could get away with it because the government is set up where there are no rules. You can kill who you want, steal where you want. You can do whatever you want to do. Go in a country and shoot up somebody around the area. Many of people from the Middle Eastern area are afraid of the Taliban. It's just like a court. But they're not aware that they became a court. A court is... When you are circled in and everyone are the same and that no one can leave out and that no one can actually come in. And that's a court because kingdom expands. It opens. It's available for all men. And they walk around with these guns and just like they and they really believe they're doing the right thing because that's all they're taught. It's how to live that way. And many of us will look at them like, you're dead wrong for doing that. But the thing is, when it came to 9-11, let me talk about that. Thank you, Father. Can I talk about 9-11? Because many of us are just don't even know what actually went on here. 9-11 has nothing to actually just do with Saddam Hussein bin Laden himself. It has everything to do with George Bush Sr., And the information I'm giving is already out there. Please research it. Please research it. George Bush Sr. 
at the United Nations meeting came alongside with Ben Laden regarding his line and his people in the Middle Eastern, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq. And it was always a trade because each nation produces something that another nation doesn't have. So they come together with different ways to just exchange. And Bush had an exchange with firearms from the Middle Eastern for the troops in America. But the exchange was for oil for their people to live off of. Because oil helps out with just about everything in the nation. And we have a lot of oil to release, especially at that time. I'm talking about Bush Sr., not Bush Jr. And he said, when do you want it? You want it now? And Ben Laden said, we don't need it now. But when we do need it, we're going to look for it to come from your land, like you said. Okay, made a deal. After George Bush Sr., the next president. But each president feel as though I didn't make that truce with you. That was between you and that man. But the thing is, when you make a truce, no matter who's in the house, who's the president, when you shake on it, you have to do what you said. When you shake politically, that means that you have to do what you said. And it skipped all the way down, Clinton, all of them. Now it's George Bush Jr. Ben Laden waited for his son, George Bush Jr., to be in the house. Somehow he knew he was going to be elected. And he went to George Bush. The thing is, when it comes to nation to nation, they don't just come and do war. No, you get several threats and attempts before the war starts. And he kept writing and calling about what Bush's father has said. And Bush was like, I'm not for you. I'm for only my kind, my people. Tough titty about yours. My father cared. I don't. Leave me alone. Got several threats. If my people going to suffer, then your people going to suffer. Whatever. I'm not giving you anything, George Bush Jr. said. So here comes 9-11, which was prepared while Bush was in the House as president. It happened to be a day when he was reading a book in front of some children and he got a notification, a phone call that the country is in trouble. And he looked at very afraid, but he still continued to read the book. And every president of the United States has a passage to underground where you can take your family and hide out. And that's what Bush did that night. 
like a coward and left all of us out here to suffer while him and his family are underground. And Ben Laden told these men, you're going to go there and make an example because we're dying here. He said we was going to get oil. We already provided them firearms. We provided them nuclear weapons, nuclear bombs that we made with our bare hands. And we asked for oil as an exchange. And he reneged what his father said he would do. By any means. They say forget our people. We say forget theirs. We got to find a way to get into the country. Let's go through planes. And make suicide attempts. And these men were kissing their families. And they felt so good to die for what they believe in. We're going to die for our people. We're going to die for democracy. We're going to die. For those who are hungry, those who are on the streets and our land. And we're going to die. We're going to die proud. I love you, honey. I got to go. They felt like superheroes. And there's a picture, a mugshot of every one of them that came. Sure. Of course. And they were like, who's going to go? Who wanted to risk their life and become a suicide bomb? I'll do it for my country. Just like every country has an army, an air force, navy, marines. So excited to fight for their people. It's like the police to protect and serve. And they were living so much in poverty compared to the way we are living. It was like, ha, 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 we lied to you. We got the weapons. We're not giving up no oil. That's up to you and your people. We don't care if you die or not. And they were not having it. You mess with the wrong nation. They got the rule. You know what happened 9-11. When it came to Saddam Hussein, it took so long for them to find him. Let me tell you why. Because he got plastic surgery on his face. And they couldn't recognize him. Walking past him, not even knowing it's him. He got plastic surgery. And America was so pissed about 9-11. And Bush said, we're going to go back and we're going to kill them all. So he sent the troops in different camps in Afghanistan. But in the troops, there were five parties per troop, per camp. And it's a movie called 9-11. And these, excuse me, five to seven. It was five to seven men that went to go capture Bin Laden. But on their way to capture him, 
a little boy went in the woods to go use the bathroom and he saw Americans. He didn't speak English. He was yelling. And they grabbed him. And three, four out of the rest was like, we got to kill this little boy or they going to tell that we're here. He's going to, he's with his grandfather or they going to tell that we're here. And they were like, no, we can't kill a kid. We can't kill a kid. We can't kill a senior citizen, his grandfather. We got to let them go. And two out of three out of maybe three out of the bunch were like, I don't care about that. We got to kill them. It's either they die or we die. Because they're going to go back and tell that we here. We spies. And the captain in the group said, go ahead, let them go. And they let them go and they hardtail. And they ran and spoke in their language and told Ben Laden, Americans are here. It was so horrific to see the details. Out of all seven men, only one survived. And I mean, so many bullets Many of them had probably like 20 bullets in them still trying to run and protect the country for what happened through 9-11. And they didn't have no reception to tell the other troops that we are in danger. So no one never knew. They thought they were going to kill Bin Laden and they were going to come and pick them back up. But when they knew they had no service, they couldn't just have the choppers to come out where they were because they would have shot the choppers down. They were aware that they were there. And if they make majority of the firearms, just like the Asians do, what do you think going to happen? And one man made it. Out of the movie 9-11. And it was so amazing. Because when I went to see that movie. Based on a true story. It took a Afghanistan man and his daughter. To grab that American man who've been shot over 18 times, stabbed four times, bombed three times, still survived. You can't even recognize him. He was dying, and it took an Afghanistan man and his daughter to hide him in their home, and they were banging on the door to kill them for holding them hostage. I mean, holding them to, you know, not as hostage, but to take care and protect them. And all of a sudden, all you see is these choppers coming from America. And it was like, we have one man left. We're going to go get our American man. And the whole movie theater lit up and people was clapping. They went all the way back to go get one man. And if it wasn't for the Afghanistan man and his daughter, that man wouldn't have made it. And they picked them up on the chopper and they carried them out. And to this day, that man and that Afghanistan man are best friends till this day. And 
in front of me were about four friends that were joining the Navy. They weren't in the Navy yet. They were still training. And they were standing in front of everybody. We, you know, we in the Navy. We're going to see this movie 9-11 because we're about protecting America. But when they seen what actually happened, they began to pretty much change their minds. It's not what we want to do because we don't even know what it's all about. We fighting, risking our lives for what the presidents do that we don't even aware of what kind of meetings they having, speaking for the entire nation in a way that we don't even, you know, know or aware. Just like Trump, he had to get in front of the whole world of, I mean, let me say in front of the America, let me say that, on the news and apologize for knowing for a whole year about the corona quote-unquote virus and didn't say anything. How cowardly is that? And his way of trying to make Americans feel better is he went on TV on the news and media and said, oh, I got the coronavirus. So we can be like, oh, you caught it. Like feel sympathy for him for hiding it from us. The whole time he never, ever had it because he was vaccinated before we even knew that it was even here. And he thought that, you know, by giving out stimulus, it would buy our attention back towards him because he wanted to run again. And because they decided not to have him run or be impeached, that's where the whole Capitol incident happened where many died because he was the one who started it and initiated white power. You come out and you fight for this nation. Biden trying to have a black assistant Vice president, you guys better fight for this nation. And they listened to him. They had a rally. And many of us not even aware that there are still four states that are still under the law where they don't have to be, I mean, not in the law where they have to agree with equal rights. There are four to five states, you can Google it, that are non-Confederate regarding Confederacy that don't believe that everybody should be treated equally. And I couldn't believe Maryland State is one of them. And a Confederate flag is is red with a blue X with white stars. And that means that we don't believe in all human rights. Like Virginia, D.C. and Maryland, long ago, back in 1916, you know, it was all one state and it was Virginia. There was no Merlin or D.C. They broke it up to make Merlin, but D.C. wasn't a state like it is now. It's just a district of Columbia. 
It's a district of Columbia. They thought to keep it that way because of Abraham Lincoln. The first two presidents, George Washington and John Adams, there wasn't a White House in D.C. It was a president house in Philadelphia. But during the end of John Adams' presidency, they created the White House and they used the black slaves to do so. They didn't want to make D.C. a state because they were so pissed off about Abraham Lincoln and the emancipation of declaration and democracy towards ending slavery. You're not going to be representing D.C. and trying to get rid of our help. You're trying to get rid of our help. The slaves do everything for us. What are we going to do if you get rid of them? How dare you to try to think that way? Because he grew up as a Christian. Mother Catholic, father Christian, he grew up as a Christian. But they wasn't as deep in Christianity as he, you know, he is, not was he is. Because he disowned his parents. He was ashamed of them. Very young age. Because they just talked about it. But Abraham Lincoln, you know, he, you know, he was about it. He demonstrated it. I don't know why I'm speaking all this historical information. (laughs) Seriously. I think it's cruel that you that they freed the slaves, but they had a, a what is it a law against Abraham Lincoln where the slaves have to work for their money, so they have to go back to their slave owners. They're free, but they have to work for them just to get paid. So now I gotta do what I used to do for free. I gotta do that to get paid now. Which is good, but you still had to go back to that plantation to get paid. And they worked the heck out of them because they were so pissed that they were free. You're going to pick all this cotton for five cents. And how many times we throw away pennies? They let you know how much society changed because as a little girl, when I was in the second grade, I used to save all my pennies and everything in this big jar. And it was probably like $10 worth of pennies. But who would think to save up pennies today? You don't, you, you just get all the silver for real. You understand? You don't know, I don't know what it's like till we go outside of where we used to and see how people really live. 
I was on a plane. And I thought that it was my arms that I was smelling. I smell onions. What is it? This cannot be me. I never smelt like this. But the smell kept following me. I was like, where's my bag? Where's my luggage? I got to get in the bathroom and wash up. This can't be me. No, it don't smell like me. And God remind me, they don't. They traditionists are not wear deodorant. Oh, yeah. Walk around and see people feet bleeding. Don't have no shoes to wear. And still giving God a praise, walking three, four miles on bare feet, walking past glass and rocks and stones just to say, I love you, Lord. And God bless us here in America to do virtual. Come on, somebody. And many of us choose to do virtual. I seen with my own eyes. It's time for supper to eat in this country. And the kids came after the parents ate. But where we from, the kids eat first. The parents ate and the kids. And you cannot speak up. You have to just observe the culture. Who are you to come and try to change or something? You'll be very opinionated. And they just came to the table and they gave them all the bones. And they were so excited to eat bones. Just chewing up chicken bones. I said, maybe if I buy more food, it, they will eat less bones. I bought more food. They still gave them bones. They just ate more food and gave the kids more bones. I prayed about it. Came back like three weeks later. Children come to the table first. They get served first. See, we don't have to say things all the time. God hear our heart. The kids ate first. They ate the meat first. I'll never forget in, in Amsterdam, they didn't want to help me. They didn't want to speak English, and they knew English. They wanted to be rude and nasty and overcharge me on purpose because they knew I wasn't from Amsterdam. All they had to do was tell me, you don't have to wait in line. Your ticket could just lead you right to the terminal and get your flight. Just go right there. I didn't know, and they knew that anyone from there didn't know. It's like 500 people in front of me. My plane leaves in 20 minutes. I watched my plane leave me. Went to the front station. Oh, you could have been said, how? No one's speaking English here. Now you know English? Well, get a hotel for the night. No, I'm not standing night here. I don't know no one who knows English. I'm leaving here right now. Book me a flight without me paying anything. And she did. Sometimes you got to use your might. Can't just be like, well, oh, okay. No, I'm not going. I'm not going to no hotel. No one wants to speak English here. I wouldn't understand where in the world to go. No one did? No, no one did. And you the only one who is speaking English and you're trying to overcharge me for something that is free. Well, okay. Well, how about you just go ahead. The next flight is in four hours. Took a man from Turkey 
from Turkey. From Turkey. To say, I got you. You sit right here. I got you, woman. I know how to speak their language. I know how to speak your language. And I know how to speak my language. You are okay. You need a charger? Need anything? Because different countries and nations you have to use is a different socket. No one's going to take advantage of you anymore. I'm right here for you. Didn't even know me. He sat there the entire time. You sit here and you feel comfortable. Because I'm not going nowhere till you get on your flight to Africa. Because I can feel you out here for a reason. You're not out here on no vacation. That's what he said. You're not out here for a vacation. You're out here for a reason. I'm going to sit right here till you get on your plane. And I felt so good because I was somewhere I couldn't even call my mom. I felt like saying mommy at the time. I only called my mom. I was like, mommy, daddy, dad, dad, mama. I started to feel like a baby when I'm outside the country, not knowing anything, people being mean. You just feel like, you know, you don't know what to do. you outside of your norm. And this man come and sit here right beside me. Charge your phone. You're fine. You want something to eat? I had McDonald's, but I never had that type of Big Mac before. Yeah, everything different here. The bread had peaches in it. Sesame seeds the size of watermelon seeds. I was like, I don't mean any harm. I just don't like my experience here at all. No one's being nice to me here. All I keep hearing about is we illegal to smoke weed. I don't even smoke weed. I don't care about that. And the men prey on women that's not from there. And you got to really stand up for yourself at these terminals, especially in that place. They all hide up and they looking like, you want to smoke with me? No, I don't. You want to feel my smoke? No, thank you. You understand? And that man stayed with me the entire time. Didn't leave at all. My plane came, he watched me. Every nation had a different smell. But I never had an encounter as I ever had going to any nation that I had when I, I landed and we were crossing over Africa. When I seen the dirt and the trees, all I could think about is my ancestors that were forced to leave. And all I can say is, from my bloodline, here I am representing my family. No matter if I'm the first one in my family, we're back, y'all. We're back, y'all. I felt all of that in my being. And I went to the bathroom and I collapsed and cried. Hallelujah. My time for now. <laughs> Greater seeds in us than he was in the world. I know that was a mouthful. <laughs> Thank you for listening. You guys are so sweet to me. <laughs> you just listen. And you listen so well. <laughs> now I love you so much. Thank you so much. I thank God that you receive. In Jesus' name.